Good morning. My name is Eliza Denham. Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 35 through 40, and then 47 through 59. Let's hear, the God's, let's hear God's word. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But, as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and no one who comes to me I will, ev- I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I give you for the rest of the life is the word of my flesh. At that, the Jews argued amongst themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus told them, truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate, and they died. The one who eats his bread, this bread, will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Cross Point. That was a little more hearty. That's good. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the bread of life. We thank you that you are the one who, um, Lord, not just provides our everyday need, but Lord, provides our greatest need, and that is salvation through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be people that feed on you consistently. And we praise you for that in Christ's name. Amen. One of the highlights of my Thanksgiving for me, besides a wonderful time for my family, the whole Wolf Clan comes into Bloomington Normal, is I look forward every year to my mother's, uh, my mom's stuffing. I don't know about you, but I think about it all year long. (laughs) She's not here today. I wish she was. Um, My father's here today, my hero. Thankful to have him here. But my mom has no secret ingredients. Her stuffing is simply made of bread, copious amounts of bread, eggs, butter, salt and pepper, celery and onions. And then she takes it and she stuffs it in the bird and it just sits and cooks in that turkey all day long. And I know some of my kids are like, I don't know what you're talking about. For me, I love my mom's stuffing. But it's something that I look forward to every year, and every year I have my fill of it. <laughs> but the next day, it only satisfies for a moment, doesn't it? And I begin to think of Christmas time, hoping that Christmas time will be the next time that I'll have my mom's stuffing, and I get it two times out of the year. It's delicious. I take great delight in it, but my desire for it, again, immediately begins with hope for Christmas. It is bread, 
but it's bread that does not satisfy forever. But it is a reminder, not to discount, and in, in, in our American culture, we look at bread and we just kind of go, ah, bread, right? But you look around the world and you see how people value bread. John Piper says it this way. When Jesus Christ came into the world, he would be able to use the enjoyment of bread and the nourishment of bread as an illustration of what it means to believe on him and to be satisfied with him. I believe that with all my heart, that bread exists to help us know what it is like to be satisfied in Jesus. This is true for water, John 4.14. This is true for light, John 1.9 and John 14.6. And every other good thing that God has made, nothing exists for itself. All things were created through him and for him, Colossians 1.16. Every honorable pleasure that we have in the created world is designed by God to give us a faint taste of heaven and make us hunger for Christ. I love that. So every time I take a bite of my mom's stuffing, it's not just to fill my stomach, but it's to be an act of worship for God's provision. It's to be a reminder of the great things that are in store for us who call Christ our Savior. Amen? And that's all of life. That's what John Piper is saying. Every partial satisfaction in this life points to the perfect satisfaction in Jesus who made the world. And so this morning in John chapter 6, I want to give you a little bit of context, and there's so much in this chapter, we're going to focus on three key observations. But what is the context? At the beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus has just performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000. Now what you have to understand in biblical culture is they only took count of the men that were there. And so there were probably women and there were probably children. So there was probably between 10 to 20,000 people that Jesus fed. With how many loaves? Five loaves and two fish. Where are we to buy bread so that the people can eat? And Philip looks at, at Jesus and he says, Jesus, we only have enough, we don't even have enough uh, uh, wages to, 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 to pay for 200 uh, days of wages to even buy a little bit to feed these people. We don't even have the resources to do that. And so the people in this discourse are very familiar with food and bread. And so Jesus is really popular at this time. This is a time in his ministry where everybody wants to be around him because they see Jesus as useful to get what they desire, not necessarily recognizing their need for a Savior. He's healing many diseases. He's feeding stomachs. He's putting food in the bellies of the people. And the people are beginning to see him as, hey, this is the one who's going to overthrow Rome. This is the one that's going to give us the freedom that we so very much desire. But we all know that that's not why Jesus came. And so Jesus feeds the, the multitude of people and he, and he, by his grace and by his power and as a reminder of who he is and what he has done, he leaves 12 baskets remaining, one for every what? Disciple. It says after that that the disciples got into the boat, Jesus left because they were looking to make him king so that he could overthrow Rome. <clears throat> And the people begin to look for Jesus. They see that Jesus goes away. They see the disciples get into the boat. The disciples are going across. They're struggling to get across. Jesus walks across the water. He says, do not be afraid. It is I. He gets into the boat, and immediately the boat gets to the other side of the shore. The people get over there the next day, and they see Jesus, and they go, what, what are you doing here? <laughs> 
How did you even do it? We, you didn't even get in the boat with the disciples. And so we see Jesus already showing his disciples his power, his majesty, his might, his purpose. And now we get into our text this morning. Two major signs have taken place. The feeding of the people with 12 baskets left over. Jesus is on the other side of the lake without ever getting into the boat. Three key observations this morning for us. The first one is that Jesus exposes. Jesus exposes the hearts of the people. Number two, Jesus reveals. Reveals who he is and what he's come to do. And the third one is Jesus requires. So let's look first of all that Jesus exposes. Join me in verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you that you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not labor for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. First thing that Jesus does is he exposes in them their desire for perishing food versus eternal food. Though we live on bread... John Calvin says, we must not ascribe the support of life to the power of bread, but to the secret kindness by which God imparts to bread the quality of nourishing our bodies. Is bread important to us? Yes. Okay. What is important about bread? Okay. The first answer is that bread is necessary for life, James Boyce says. And it is. Again, we live in America, so bread to us is kind of like, ah, I'll make a sandwich, PB&J, turkey and cheese, whatever we want to call it. For those of us who love Lebanon bologna, right? Any Lebanon bologna people here? Yes, thank you, right? And we look at bread and we just go, yeah, it's, but if you go, like I remember going on a mission trip to Romania and we ate bread incessantly. Bread was a staple. I mean, every meal was bread. And it was gross bread, Right? <laughs> They'd open the trunk of a car, and in the back of the car is tires and grease and, um, what do you call those? Jacks. Thank you. Right? And the bread's sitting right on top of it. Guy picks it up, puts it under his arm. He's got like a t-shirt on, and he's carrying loaves of bread, right? And it's 95 degrees, right? But when you're hungry, you're eating the bread. But what Jesus is trying to get people to realize is that they need to recognize and receive, to receive and recognize the giver of the bread. John Piper says it this way, the shining down from that glory, from the sun, a beam of glory shining from Christ, the glorious eternal divine son of God, a beam shining down and it lands, right? These last couple days, the weather's been, uh, actually it's been fairly nice, but today, right? We would just long for a beautiful day where the sun comes down. But the whole point that Piper is saying is that we don't worship the end of the beam. We worship the one who's the giver of the beam. He creates out of nothing food to feed 5,000 people. And the sign is meant to do this, that your eyes behold the landing of the beam and your eyes should run up the beam to the glory. Instead, what do the people do? They saw this miracle and they fixated on the product of the miracle, not the person of the miracle. Jesus, give us more food. Give us more food. Rather than saying, Father God, 
Thank you for the generosity of that. The sign that you just performed, that you just did. And so that word sign in this passage, what does that mean? Sign is that it's the manifestation of the glory of God and the revelation of his mission for Jesus as God's son. You see, Jesus, the only son of God, came to save the world from their sins, the true bread of life that we're going to see here in just a moment. He's not some powerful political leader. He's not some genie in the lamp to give you your every desire. And how often, brothers and sisters, we labor for food that perishes, right? I've got here a uh, set of King's Hawaiian buns, and I want to give you an illustration, right? Some of you guys are like, I'm hungry, right? But what is the food that the world offers, right? Because the world's offering us bread all the time, right? The world is saying to Austin, right? <laughs> Fame, man. Work yourself up the corporate ladder, right? 401k, Kevin. Build it up, right? Good looks, Ben Martin, <laughs> right? You have to look a certain way. Wear a certain set of clothes. Be the best football player at Eureka, right? Kids, get the next video game, right? Get the latest, greatest toy, right? This is all the bread that the world's offering, and they're all saying, take it, take it, eat it. Now, are those things good things? Yes, they can be good things, right? Does the Lord want us to be planners, stewards of his money? Does he want us to take care of our bodies? Yes. But when those good things become God things and those become the bread which we eat and we think, boy, this is going to satisfy me. This is going to give me the, the satisfaction, right? Those of you that are video gamers, why don't you ever play John Madden 2004 anymore? <laughs> think about it, right? You have to get the latest and the greatest version, right? For me, I want a 2023 GMC Yukon XL. <laughs> I, I love G GMC Yukon XLs. Some of you cause me to sin when you drive in here on Sunday morning. <laughs> right? Do not covet. And I'm just like, oh man, we had a 2003, 2000, no, 2003, whatever, my favorite car we ever had. It's like driving on wind. Right? The 2013 Equinox just doesn't satisfy me. Maybe it's cars. Maybe it's houses. Maybe it's education. Maybe it's power. Anything that seeks your affection more than Jesus, you're never going to be satisfied. Why did Jesus withdraw after feeding the 5,000? Because the enthusiasm that these people have is not for who Jesus really is. This is so important for our day and for, our, and for your life. People can have great enthusiasm for Jesus, but the Jesus that they're excited about is not the real biblical Jesus. It may be a morally exemplary Jesus, right? You may be banking on your religion. You may be banking on how moral and how good you are. Maybe it's a socialist Jesus or a capitalist Jesus or an anti-Semitic Jesus or a white prejudiced uh, Jesus or a revolutionary liberationist Jesus or a countercultural cool Jesus. But that's not the whole Jesus who in the end gives his life to ransom for sinners. 
And if your enthusiasm for Jesus is for a Jesus that doesn't exist, your enthusiasm is no honor to the real Jesus. And he will leave you and he goes to the mountain. And that's what he does with the people. You come to me, right? Because you want to see, see signs. You're not coming to me because I'm the giver of life. I'm the bread of life. Continuing on in verse 28, they say to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Now listen to the foolishness of that statement. Jesus says, believe in the one whom the Father has sent. And they say, give us a sign. What did he just do? He just fed between 10 to 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish. He happened to walk on water, not in the middle of winter in the upper peninsula of Michigan with ice. He's walking on water, gets into the boat, and the boat immediately goes to the other side. And the people are like, give us a sign. Give us a sign. Moses gave us manna in the wilderness, they go on to say. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, verse 31. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, look, truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses that gave you the manna in the wilderness. You guys remember what manna is? Kids, you remember what manna is? Right? The Israelites are out in the wilderness, and they're crying out to God, complaining because they're hungry, and we want food. And God, in his grace, gives them manna. And he says to them, every single day, you're going to get up, you're going to collect enough manna for the day, do not collect more because it's going to spoil. And they go out and they would pick up the manna and they would eat it. It was like a sweet tasting bread. It was God's provision for them. It was his reminder to them that, hey, I am providing for you. This is you. Again, don't look at the ray, the end of the ray. Look at the provider of the manna. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He says, you guys are looking for manna. You're looking for the partial. I'm here. I'm the true bread. And they said, sir, give us the bread that gives life to the world. And they say, sir, give us this bread always. Now what's key is they say, work for eternal life. In this passage, Jesus says, right, work for eternal life. But as Christians, we're not supposed to do that, right? Jesus isn't saying to them that you need to do this to earn your salvation. He goes on to say, this is the work of God. Believe in him whom he has sent. See, the beauty about salvation, friends, is that Jesus is the one who does the work for us. He's not saying that you and I have to work for our salvation. You and I have to perform for our salvation. You and I have to do A plus B equals C to earn our salvation. He says, no, you need to believe in the one who has purchased your salvation. The focus is not on how to fulfill our immediate needs. The food and the healing. What Jesus is getting at is that we need eternal needs filled and fixed what jesus is showing them is that they have an ultimate need and that need is salvation and forgiveness from our sin i love this by john piper 
and this has rung true as I've been praying through this this week. Listen to what Piper says. He said, Jesus did not come to be useful, but he came to be precious. Do you hear that? Jesus didn't come to be useful. He came to be precious. Oh, how many Christians receive him as useful? Or another way to put it is Jesus Christ did not come into the world to assist you in meeting desires that you already had before you were born again. He came into the world to change your desires so that he is the main one. That's the reason he came. Did you hear that? Jesus didn't just come to be an add-on to your already busy life. Jesus came to totally transform you from a sinner who's sitting under the wrath of God, who's in desperate need of a Savior, who came and lived your life, died your death, was buried, rose again in victory over sin and death, and was ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of the Father, who says, believe in me, put your faith and trust in me, I'm the bread of life, chomp on me, eat me, receive me, feed on me, and guess what? You'll have bread for eternal life. How many times do we present the gospel to our friends as, hey, come to Jesus so you can go to heaven? Friends, can, can I just say this? Heaven is going to be wonderful. I long to be with my Savior. I pray that often. Lord, I can't wait to be with you. I can't wait when I'm no longer sinning. I can't wait till I no longer have to deal with chronic health issues. I, I can't wait till I can be up worshiping my King of kings and Lord of lords forever. But the goal isn't heaven. The goal is God. See, you and I get God. We are made right in the eyes of God when we, by faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, receive that gift of salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, and we're adopted into the family of God. We get God. That is great news. D.A. Carson says it this way, their attention was focused on food and victory, not on the divine self-disclosure mediated through the incarnate Son, not on the Son as the bread of life, not on a realistic assessment of their own need. And so Jesus exposes that in this part of John chapter 6. The second thing that Jesus does is he reveals... Look at, with me at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. And all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, and to everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The people understood the significance of bread, right? Earthly bread, but they didn't understand the significance of heavenly bread. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Earthly bread satisfies temporarily. Living bread, Jesus says, you will live forever. Worldly bread fulfills for the moment, but always leaves us wanting, right? Like Thanksgiving stuffing. 
But Jesus, the bread of life, fulfills forever and is the everlasting sustainment of our ever-wanting souls. So what does Jesus reveal that he's doing? He's revealing that he's coming to do the Father's will, to bring salvation and everlasting delight to his children. And what is that? What is fulfilling the Father's will? The fulfillment of the Father's will is his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension that I already shared with you so that you and I can have forgiveness of sins and eternal life with God. One of my favorite verses that I keep going back to is 1 Peter 3.18, right? The righteous died for the unrighteous so that we can be brought to God. Not so that I can go to heaven and see relatives that have passed on before me, which is going to be beautiful. I look forward to seeing Mo and Mim Wolf up there in heaven, but that's not the reason why we want heaven. The reason is, is we're going to be around the throne of our king with people from all tribes and tongues and ethnicities worshiping him, praising him, thanking him for the gift of salvation that we have by grace because none of us in this room have earned it. None of us in this room deserve his salvation. Think about that. Jesus says he's the better manna. The Jews grumbled about him in verse 41. I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone who has seen the father except he who is from God he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Again, he says, I am the bread of life, verse 48. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the better manna. Your fathers ate the manna. God provided it. It was a gift. But guess what? They still died. In me... You will never die. It gave him physical nourishment. It was a reminder of God's faithful covenant love with his people. But manna had no saving power to it. Manna was to point who the eternal manna is going to be. The true bread that will give life is Jesus. See, the exegetical dictionary of the New Testament says Jesus can restore physical life, but that's not the real miracle. The real miracle is that he gives true life to anyone who believes. Again, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. And, 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 and I think in my own life, and confessing even this week, brothers and sisters, are we, are we thankful each and every day for the gift of God's grace of salvation? Or is salvation to us like bread? Yeah, okay. Tickets punched to heaven. I'll just make it through. I'll just kind of wander through this life. I'll just kind of muddle through. I'll just kind of get through. Jesus is the better manna, friends. Every single day. One commentator says it this way. He's opening a window on who he is. He's manifesting his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father. And he is opening this window on his glory. Not that we might get excited about how useful he might be, in getting what we already wanted, but that we might see that he himself 
is better than anything we ever wanted. <coughs> Jesus, friends, is better than a 2023 Yukon XL. Amen. Thank you, Austin. Not that we can't enjoy the 2023 Yukon XL, right? Not that if God doesn't give us resources and a home to enjoy and all those things, he's not saying we don't enjoy those things. I want Jesus more than anything in this life. That's my prayer. Lord, I want you more. I want you more than even my health. That's what the miracle of the loaves and fishes was pointing to, brothers and sisters. It was pointing very specifically to the fact that Jesus will always be there for his disciples to take care of them personally. He shows this by seeing to it that 12 baskets are left over, one for each apostle, so that the miracle had a public message for all, the personal lesson for the apostles. Friends, what this passage is telling to, uh, to each and every one of us is Jesus is always going to be there to take care of you personally if you are his child. He never leaves you wanting. He never leaves you going, well, you know, and some of you are going through some really difficult times right now. Some of you are sitting here going, I'm not really sure about that, Dave. Because my life isn't like amounting to what I think it should. May I remind you that you have a son who is absolutely perfect, who left his throne in heaven, came down and lived life on earth like us, without sin, who suffered and went to a cross undeservedly so that you and I never have to suffer eternally ever again. Is he well acquainted with your grief right now? Yes, he is. Will he always be well acquainted with your grief right now? Yes, he is. Has he defeated that? Yes, he has. Will he ever leave you? Will he ever forsake you? He won't. You know, back in, I think it's verse 41, where Jesus says, if you are part of my family, he says, I will never cast out. One of my favorite books is Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Any readers of that in here? Read it several times. I go back and read it. There's a chapter in there that he says, I will in no wise cast out. And one of my favorite parts of that is because he's addressing the believer who struggles with sin in their life, right? Anybody else struggle with sin? Right? But Jesus, you don't understand what I'm going through. He says, I will in no wise cast out. You don't know what I've done. I will in no wise cast you out. If you are in Christ Jesus this morning, he is with you, taking care of you, personally the third thing we have jesus exposes jesus reveals who he is but the third part is jesus requires what does he require verse 52 and you would hope that the jews right they're seeing jesus they're hearing jesus you would think they'd be like yes that's what we want but they're grumbling they're complaining and then in verse 52, it says, the Jews disputed amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Because in verse 51, Jesus says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And the Jews are going, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Is he some cannibal or something? 
Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers are ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So now Jesus goes into this discourse about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Now again, this is metaphorical. This isn't literal. When you take communion, you're not literally eating the flesh of Jesus and drinking his blood. You are remembering the breaking of his body, his flesh, the shedding of his blood to, 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 to save us and cleanse us from our sins. It's imagery of what Christ is going to do dying on the cross. And Jesus is saying to them, you need to eat my flesh. That word eat means you're chomping at it, right? You're not just kind of like, mm, mm, right? No, you're, you're a desperate individual, right? My favorite restaurant is Biagi's. Any Biagi's people here? A few of you? What is my favorite part about Biagi's? The bread, right? It's the bread. Several months ago, we went out to eat with some friends from Tremont, and we were at Biagi's, right? And I mean, I don't even sit down, and I start taking the olive oil, and I start pouring it on the plate, and I start putting the Parmesan cheese on there and the cracked pepper, and my wife's looking at me like, what are you doing? Right? And the waitress comes over, the waiter comes over, like, you've been here before. Yes, I have. Right? <laughs> okay? And so we sit down, and we're talking to our friends, and we're conversing. And the waiter comes over right away, and what are they setting right in front of me? The bread. Right? And we're talking, and we're talking, and I'm like a crazed dog sitting at this table. I'm like, oh. <laughs> we're talking. And I'm like, are we going to get into the bread, or what are we going to do here? Right? Because I'm looking forward to this bread. I'm thinking about it all week. We're like, we're getting together for dinner, right? And I'm like, and finally, I just, I just grab the bread. They're, they're talking. I grab the bread, and I just start, I start eating it. And my wife's looking at me like, what is your problem? <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> I mean, we were sitting there like 10 or 15 minutes waiting for this bread to be eaten. I'm like, this is it. We're done. We're, we're diving in. I share that with you because, you know what, that should be how we desire our walk with Jesus to be. Jesus, I want to chomp on you. I want to eat you up. I want to know you. What does it mean to feed upon Jesus? Right? Is that I receive it. I savor it. I treasure it. James Boyce says it this way, what does it mean to feed upon Jesus? The answer to this question is that eating Christ's flesh and drinking his blood refer to that which Jesus has been speaking of all along. He has said that men and women must believe in him. They must come to him. They must look to him. They must listen to him. They must learn from him. All these terms, believe, come, listen, and learn, refer to what we would most naturally call faith. Faith. The lasting terms, eating and drinking, stress the commitment that is involved in faith that is real, irrevocable, and productive of results as any literal eating or drinking. 
See, Jesus is saying, I want you to devour me. I want you to receive me. I want you to treasure me. I want to be precious to you. That those moments when you get a chance to dive into my word, to learn more about me, that we would go after that more than I would go after Joan Wolf stuffing on Thanksgiving. More than I would go after Biagi's bread at a dinner. Are those good things? Yes. Are those the best things? No. The two results that Jesus says, whoever feeds on my flesh and my blood, one has eternal life. Brothers and sisters, we talk about it here all the time at Crosspoint. It's a gospel and it's three-pronged effect. The first one is that we are saved from the penalty of sin. Jesus' flesh was broken. His blood was poured out so that you and I can receive the gift of salvation by grace through faith so that you and I get to spend eternity with our King. But we also get to experience His power today. We get to experience the dwelling of His Spirit within us, that He is with us forever. So no matter what you're going through in your life right now, no matter what issue you're struggling with, no matter what circumstance or situation, you have a Savior that's with you and He never leaves you. Because that's the second part of this passage. Jesus says, you have eternal life, but he who abides in me, he who remains in me, stays with me, resides with me, continues with me, You have his everlasting presence with you. My mom gave me a book this week. My mom's dealing with a lot of health issues, and she gave me a book by Johnny Erickson Tata. I love Johnny Erickson Tata. And she wrote a book specifically on suffering 25 hymns that remind her of um, just the presence and the power and, and, and the preciousness of Christ. And as I was reading this morning in my quiet time, I came across, it was interesting because my quiet time this morning was about abiding. <laughs> and that's what Jesus says here, you abide in me. And Johnny Erickson Tata writes this, friends, God is not interested in you putting your name on the dotted line of an eternal insurance policy. He wants your heart and soul, your root, the bud, the branch, the sun, the rain and the soil. And the reason she was sharing this illustration is she went to an um, apple orchard in Maryland and she saw grafting, right? The, 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 the tree man, was it an arborist or a gardener or whatever you want to call him, took his knife and cuts into the tree. I mean, cuts into the tree, digs into the tree. It hurts. And then takes this little shaft of a, of a, of a, of a, a twig and puts it in there. And the next time she goes, this this branch has grown out. It's been grafted into the tree and it's bearing much fruit. And she's talking about the, the place of suffering and difficulty in our lives. She goes on to say, he wants everything. If in our suffering we wonder, God, what are you doing? The answer is, God grafts those that he loves. Your suffering isn't for naught. Your suffering isn't just random. It's God's purpose to show His love to you, to strengthen you, to encourage you, to grow you. 
She goes on to say pruning, cutting, grafting, and wounding are the metaphors that Scripture invites us to use when describing abiding in Christ. Jesus does not say, I am the battery docking station and you're the cell phone. Our Savior is not a wall socket in whom we plug to get our spiritual battery charged. It doesn't work that way. To abide in Christ is to be painfully grafted into the branch of the Lord, Isaiah 4, verse 2. And it requires the knife of suffering to make that happen. The beautiful thing about that, brothers and sisters, is we have a Savior who abides with us in that suffering. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, the faithfulness of God is the foundation and cornerstone of our hope of final perseverance. The saints shall persevere in holiness because God perseveres in grace. He perseveres to bless, and there believers persevere in being blessed. He continues to keep his people, and there they continue to keep his commandments. You see, it's not dependent upon you, is it? It's on the faithfulness of God. It's on the power of God. We see that in Peter, an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, kept in heaven for you. By you? No. By the power of God. Our goal each and every day is to get up and say, Lord, I need you. I want to feed on you. I want to I, I, I want to thirst after you. I want to chomp on you. I want to receive you. I want to know you. I want to abide in you. So what does that mean for us today? A couple questions and then we'll end in worship of, through music again. My first question to you this morning is, what has God exposed in your heart this morning? Is Jesus just useful to you? Is he just this, hey, I want Jesus to make my life better because I got news for you. It's going to be better in the sense that your eternal position is sealed. His never-ending presence is always going to be with you. But you're going to suffer. Jesus promises us that. All who desire to live godly will be persecuted. So if the Christian life to you is, I'm just going to add a little bit of Jesus dust to my life, so that my marriage can be better, or my parenting could be better, or I could be a better athlete, or I could be a better student, or I could be a better worker. That's not why you want Jesus. Now, our relationship with Jesus should make us better workers, better parents, better spouses, better athletes in terms of my mission, not my talent. But what does this expose about your heart this morning? Is Jesus precious to you this morning? Because what's interesting at the end of this chapter, <laughs> Jesus, right, the people are now really, really grumbling. And Jesus in verse 61 says, do you take offense to this? Do you take offense to this? Because the people were taking offense. And you know what happens? It says that a lot of them left. Jesus is like, no, following me is eating my flesh and drinking my blood. Again, not literally, but it's you die to yourself completely and you come to me for the forgiveness of your sins and salvation. You put your trust and faith in me. And the people are like, no, this is too hard. We're not doing this. And my favorite part is when Jesus then looks at the 12 and he says, you don't want to go too, do you? And I love Peter. 
My wife says I'm Peter, right? We have that disease where we open our mouth and we insert our foot. But hopefully there were some good qualities about Peter. And I love Peter's answer because he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, where else are we going to go? Because you are the one that holds the keys to eternal life. Aren't those beautiful words? Friends, is Jesus just useful to you this morning? And if he's just useful to you, my call to you is to come to him into salvation cry out for the forgiveness of your sins it's no major you know we're not raise your hand here people and you know recite this prayer right now you cry out to the king of kings and say lord i'm a sinner i've been living for myself i'm in need of a savior and i want to be changed i want you to be eternal bread to me if you are a follower of christ and maybe you are following earthly bread I love Acts where it says repent so that your sins might be washed away and that seasons of refreshing may come. I don't know about you, but I go through seasons where it's like, Lord, man, I'm dry, empty, hungry, right? And I've got people in my life that I can go to and I can confess my sin to and they point me to Jesus. They say, look, stop eating worldly bread and they, don't, they say it in a very loving way, but, but eat the bread that lasts forever. Confess your sin. Repent of your sin. Turn from a false God. That's what repentance is. You're turning from a false God to the true God. Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, we thank you that you are the true bread. Lord, we appreciate and are thankful for the earthly bread you provide, but Lord, may it be always pointing us to the one who is true life. Lord, as we've just sung earlier, Jesus, thank you. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. That we will cry out to you, Lord. That we would be worshipers of you. That we would be changed by you. That we would obey you. That we would find you absolutely precious, not just useful that, Lord, we would not live for the things of this world, the bread of this world, but that we would live to praise the bread of life. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your Son to take our place to satisfy the wrath of the Father on our place. Thank you for your word that's living and sharper than any two-edged sword. Help us as we worship you in our closing here that you would be pleased, that it would come from a heart of thanks and gratitude. In your son's name, amen. Crosspoint, you don't want to go too, do you? Where else are we going to go? Because Jesus is the one that holds the keys to eternal life. What's really important when we listen to messages and stuff is that we don't just walk out and just kind of go on with life, but for you to take time to Go to a brother and sister, maybe someone in your community group, maybe an elder, maybe a pastor, just a friend that you know loves the Lord. And to go to them and just say, hey, can you pray with me right now? And would you walk with me each and every day to point me to the one who is the bread of life? That's why the church exists. That's why we're here. 
We're not just here to gather every Sunday morning just to sing a few songs and hear a message and then go, no, this, the purpose is for us when you go to your community groups this week or you guys go to dinner or coffee or just do life on life or life in community and life on mission together that we continually point each other to the one who is the bread of life. And that's Jesus Christ. So may we, each and every one of us in this room, Lord, you are the one that holds the keys to eternal life. Where else are we going to go? If you want prayer today, I encourage you to grab a friend, Pastor Dave, Pastor Dave, the elders. We're not any, any, any more special than your friend, but just say, can you pray with me right now? I'm going through a rough time. Or I'm pursuing worldly bread, and I don't want that. Lord, thank you for a great morning. Thank you that you are the bread of life. Thank you that we have a body of believers, of people, Lord, that you have called us together, not just to fellowship with one another, but ultimately to fellowship with you. And then in our fellowship with you, we bring that fellowship into each other's lives. And Lord, we, we walk alongside one another, those who are brokenhearted, those who are strong, those who are weak, those who are struggling those who are blind, those who are deaf. Lord, to you, that we would be people that love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and that we teach each other and help each other to love you as the bread that you are. So we love you, we praise you, and all God's people said, go in God's peace this week, Cross Point. Talk and pray with each other as you leave. Feast on the bread of life this week. Amen.